What is up everyone? It's Quinn here and in today's video I'm going to be talking about some must draft rookies in your 2023 fantasy football drafts. I feel like every year some of the best value you can find in your drafts is going to be at the rookie position. These players aren't super proven. I even see it in my comments a lot, right? If I rank a rookie high, people will ask, why am I going to draft someone so high if we haven't seen them play? I think this is a common sentiment around a lot of people who play fantasy football and I think that leads to a lot of these rookies ending up being values. These are also players who are likely going to peak towards the end of the season. We've seen this year after year, you know, your Amon Raz, your Christian Watson, Jonathan Taylor, his rookie season. These are players who typically peak over the back half of the season and can really end up being league winners for you guys. So I'm going to dive into those must draft rookies in today's video. Um, the ADP I'm using is going to be from four for four ADP, pretty much just combines a bunch of different platforms. Um, so that's kind of like my favorite ADP to use. If you guys enjoy the video, do me a huge favor, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. And let's jump right into my first must draft running back. It is going to be Jameer Gibbs. He's currently being drafted as the running back 14 at around the 3-4 turn. And if you guys have you know been uh, watching my videos for a while now, you know that I am a huge fan of Jameer Gibbs, especially for this year in fantasy football. And honestly, with hits to like Ramondre with Zeke coming in, uh, Brees Hall with Delvin Cook coming in, and then Josh Jacobs' contract situation still being all over the place. I actually have Jameer Gibbs as my running back nine at this point, and I'd be willing to take him in like the mid third round. So higher, you know, relative to his position than consensus, and then also higher relative to like the overall player rankings. And I just don't really get this running back 14 spot. I understand he's a rookie, but we saw DeAndre Swift last season finish as the running back 16 in points per game. So, you know, Jameer Gibbs is just being drafted a little bit higher than that. And we look back to last year, the Lions were clearly not high on Swift. He only had a 37% opportunity share. Like, are we expecting Jameer Gibbs to be putting up similar production to DeAndre Swift? Because I personally am not. Like, there is a zero chance the Lions go out, spend a mid-first round pick, right? This was pick 12 on Jameer Gibbs. There's no way they spend that draft capital and then proceed to just give him that DeAndre Swift, like sub 40% opportunity share. Like it would just be a gross misuse of their draft picks. We know Gibbs is an elite pass catcher, which can give him a really nice ceiling in half point PPR and PPR formats. We've seen guys like Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler, James White. These guys have put up mid to high end RB1 production with very limited workloads on the ground. Alvin Kamara's rookie season is a great example of someone in this role, and I think it could kind of be similar to Jameer Gibbs' rookie season. And I also just would not be surprised if Jameer Gibbs is more involved on the ground than we think. Even though he is a smaller framed back, he is still a very strong pure runner. Like, I think he can get in that like 10 to 12 carry area, and I would definitely not be shocked. Um, I have a full video just solely focused on Jameer Gibbs as a must draft running back. So if you want like a more detailed breakdown, that was up from like a few weeks ago, so you can go check that one out, but very in on Jameer Gibbs this year. Now, my next must-draft rookie is actually going to be four different rookies, and it is going to be the four first-round wide receivers. Um, like I talked about, rookies are a very solid bet for fantasy. I also really like rookies at the wide receiver position. I think people, you know, they look at some of the competition they have. They don't know if they can break out in different situations. And they're also just, you know, kind of low risk picks where there's no guarantee 
they're going to pan out, but you're also just not spending premium draft capital. And typically you're passing on other wide receivers who have kind of already proven to you that they're not going to have much of a ceiling. So it kind of makes more sense to just take a shot at the unknown with these wide receivers. And like I said, at the top of the video, they do also peak towards the end of the season. So we have four first round wide receivers this year. They were all picked back to back to back to back. Jackson Smith and Jigba to the Seahawks, Quinton Johnston to the Chargers, Zay Flowers to the Ravens, and then Jordan Addison to the Vikings. So I wanted to go back, look at the last three draft classes, look at the rookies, um, and then take a look at how they fared in their first season, just to, you know, kind of take a look how good of a bet are these rookies actually, you know, especially over the past few seasons. So we start off with the 2022 draft. I basically took... Um, like all first round wide receivers. And then if a wide receiver was like right on the edge, like early second round, I also tossed him in there. So we have seven different relevant wide receivers here. We start off with Drake London. He averaged 10 and a half PPR points per game, which was the wide receiver 43. So, you know, definitely I wouldn't say this was a hit. Um, I think in your casual platforms, he was probably being drafted around here. So I don't think he was like a huge L, um, but definitely a player whose situation kind of held him back here. Then we had Garrett Wilson, who averaged 12.7 points per game, was the wide receiver 30 in points per game, and Garrett Wilson definitely panned out. Um, a lot of people were fading him compared to Drake London and Chris Olave just because of the quarterback situation. He was able to overcome that bad situation at the quarterback position and then was still able to be like a relevant option in your lineup, whether it was a flex or like a wide receiver three. Then we had Chris Olave, who averaged 13.2 points per game, which was the wide receiver 25. So Chris Olave was almost a wide receiver two for fantasy. So I would definitely say he was a hit. I debated just not even putting Jamison Williams in here. He was returning off a uh, ACL tear, you know, only played in six games, averaged two and a half PPR points per game. I mean, like if you want to take that as a negative, fine, but everyone kind of knew he would be a second year bet. Then we had uh, Jahan Dotson, who averaged 10.9 points per game, was the wide receiver 38. I would say probably the biggest disappointment of this group would be Traylon Burks, only averaged 8.6, wide receiver 56, but he also dealt with injuries like every time he started to get going. So kind of just an unlucky season out of him. And then we had Christian Watson, who averaged 11.7 points per game, wide receiver 32. You look at that, you think like, eh, okay season. But if we remember, he was a guy that really was a league winner down the stretch. He had like that, you know, Amon Ra and not as crazy as Amon Ra, but like, you know, a similar type of peak towards the end of the season. And I think something that's important to point out with this draft class is that this draft class was really strong at the wide receiver position, but the landing spots were horrible, right? Drake London to the Falcons with Marcus Mariota, terrible. Garrett Wilson to the Jets with Zach Wilson terrible. Chris Olave to the Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton Saints, not very good. You know, even like Jahan Dotson, you're looking at like Taylor Heineke, Traylon Burks, Ryan Tannehill, you know, eh, I guess. I feel like Christian Watson was the only guy that had a pretty solid year one landing spot going to play with Aaron Rodgers, but we still saw some of these guys outperform their ADP and they were set up, you know, in pretty poor year one landing spots. Now, moving into the 2021 draft class, I would say this class definitely hit better in terms of their rookie year production. We got to start it off with Jamar Chase, picked fifth in 2021, averaged 17.9 points per game, was the wide receiver five. He was not even being drafted as like a top 24 wide receiver, if I remember. So he absolutely smashed, you know, in year one, was a mid-tier wide receiver one from the jump. Then we had Jalen Waddell, who was also really impressive, 15.4 points per game 
um, was the wide receiver, 15 in points per game. Devonta Smith, still a solid wide receiver, 3, 10.9 points per game, wide receiver, 36. Kadarius Toney and Bateman, uh, both kind of, you know, were non-factors, 8.2 points per game, 8.6 points per game. Both those guys also dealt with injuries, so it's not like they were healthy the entire season and were just terrible. They were kind of banged up. And then we had Elijah Moore, who was another guy who peaked in the second half of the season, 12.6 points per game, was the wide receiver, 28. And he was actually peaking, I believe, like before like the midpoint of the season. He just had a season-ending injury, so he honestly could have built on that uh, 12.6 number if he ended up staying healthy. But I would say that was a definitely a very strong class to be like pro these rookie wide receivers. And then the final one here in 2020, you know, some hits and some misses here. Overall, I'd probably say this was probably a decently underwhelming class. We had Henry Ruggs, who averaged 6.5 points per game, so completely not fantasy relevant. Jerry Judy, 9.9, was the wide receiver, 55. C.D. Lamb was a decent option here, 13.6 points per game, which was the wide receiver, 33. Jalen Rager, non-factor. But then we had Justin Jefferson at 17.1 points per game, the wide receiver, 9. And right, this was at pick 22. So it's not like Jefferson was like a Jamar Chase-level prospect where we thought, okay, this guy's going to come in. He's going to ball out from year one, right? He was picked 22nd. He was the fifth wide receiver in this class, and still was able to deliver a top 10 wide receiver season. Brandon Ayuk at 15.4 points per game, wide receiver 18. That was an impressive season. Another guy who wasn't you know, considered like a top three wide receiver prospect in the class. Then we had T. Higgins at 12.2, wide receiver 38. And then Michael Pittman you know, was pretty much a non-factor his rookie season at a 7.6. So like I said, these guys are not guaranteed to be hits. There are definitely some flops. But just where you're drafting them, I do think they're definitely worth it in terms of their upside. So the first guy I'm going to talk about here is Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's being drafted right outside the top 36 wide receivers, wide receiver 37, pretty much like a round eight pick. Um, And I think JSN was pretty consensus, like the top wide receiver in this class. I didn't see many people having like anyone ahead of him. Um, But the biggest concern I've seen surrounding him in terms of redraft is the competition from DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And, you know, I I feel like that's a fair concern. There's no doubt he's like not stepping into a wide open wide receiver room, right? He's not going to be the number one guy from day one, most likely. Um, But this is still an offense that was top 10 in passing yards and passing touchdowns last season. And that was without JSN. So I think they can even take another step forward here, adding another very, very strong wide receiver. And obviously, you know, college is different. There's probably more volume to go around. But we just saw a few years ago, JSN keep pace with a senior Chris Olave and a junior Garrett Wilson when JSN was a sophomore. So he's no stranger to playing, you know, with other talented wide receivers and still finding a way to give up strong production. In general, if players are talented, they're going to find a way to produce, especially on an offense that already proved to be a solid passing attack, right? Like, it's not like you have these three stud weapons and then you just have like, a horrific quarterback who's not going to be able to support them. I think this is going to be a pretty strong offense this season. And I was also trying to just think back of uh, some teams that had like three wide receivers of this caliber or just three really, really talented wide receivers and trying to figure out, you know, like how they all performed for fantasy. Because, you know, if say there was a bunch of strong three wide receiver teams and they weren't all able to produce, then I probably wouldn't be super in on JSN. But I was thinking back, did some research, and these are some of the uh, teams that I pulled up within the last like 20-ish years. 
So there were like five prime examples here. The most recent one was the Buccaneers in 2021. They had Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown both averaged 17.3 PPR points per game. And then Mike Evans was at 16.4. So all those dudes above 16 points per game is pretty wild. Then you had the Rams in 2018, Cooper Cup 16.9, Robert Woods at 16.6, and then Brandon Cooks at 15.2. Uh, the Broncos with Demarius Thomas at 19.9, Decker at 17.5 and then Welker at 16.1. You had the 2012 Packers. This one was crazy because they actually had a fourth guy in there. Randall Cobb at 15.6, James Jones at 14.2, Jordy Nelson at 14. I think that may be more like a realistic, you know, number for these guys. They're all kind of in the same range. I don't know if any of these guys are going to have like a crazy high ceiling, um, but I think they can all be in that range and kind of pay off um, at least JSN and Lockett. And then also on that Packers team, you actually had Greg Jennings, who was at 12 points per game. So four wide receivers at 12 plus points per game is pretty wild. And then you had the Colts in 2004, uh, Marvin Harrison at 17.8, Reggie Wayne at 16.8, and then Brandon Stokely at 14.6. Now you may be looking at like these wide receiver cores and being like, all right, like we're looking at a ton of legends, you know, like does this really compare to DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and JSN? I think it's fair, but I also just think in general, it's very rare to have three high quality wide receivers on the same roster. So my overall point here is that wide receivers can definitely produce in crowded situations. And I'm not just going to be fading off of JSN because of his year one competition. Now, the next rookie wide receiver is going to be Jordan Addison. He's pretty much being drafted like right behind JSN as the wide receiver 38. And he's going in round eight also. And I actually think Jordan Addison has some decent upside here that's kind of being slept on. I've talked about this a little bit early on in the offseason, but Adam Thielen was the Vikings wide receiver two last year, and he experienced a pretty steep fall off. He went from the wide receiver 11 and the wide receiver 14 in points per game in 2020 and 2021, fell all the way down to the wide receiver 41 last season. And he experienced this fall off not because he was given a new role or, you know, he was taken off the field. He had a great number of opportunities last year to produce, and it just did not happen. He ran the second most routes in the entire NFL. The only guy he was behind was Justin Jefferson. He also saw the fifth most red zone targets. So to only be able to turn that into wide receiver 41 in points per game, you know, tells me that he's kind of fallen off a little bit as a player, probably more than a little bit, if we're being honest. I think if you place Jordan Addison in that same role, I struggle to see him being worse than a fantasy wide receiver three, and I think he's a guy who does have top 24 upside at the position. I don't know if Jordan Addison is ever going to be a true wide receiver one, but I feel like he's the perfect guy to just slide in here and be the wide receiver two behind Justin Jefferson. Jefferson is going to command a ton of attention. We know Jordan Addison is a great route runner. I think this is a really nice spot for him, especially in year one. You have Kirk Cousins here, a pretty stable offense. I really like Jordan Addison here as a wide receiver four pick. Then we have Zay Flowers, who's being drafted as the wide receiver 44, like round nine, round 10, somewhere in there. And I'd say originally after the draft, you're looking at the landing spots for these guys. You were looking at Vikings, seem solid, Seahawks solid, uh, Chargers seem great. I would say the Ravens uh, landing spot was the one where it was like, eh, you know, could be better. 
Um, you know, you have Lamar quarterback, you think this is a super run heavy offense, but under new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, it looks like they're definitely going to be shifting to a more pass heavy offense. It also matches their off season moves, right? Going out, drafting Zay Flowers, signing Odell Beckham. They still have Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman in there. And we're going to have Zay Flowers competing with Bateman and OBJ at the wide receiver position. And to be totally honest, like a month ago, I probably would have preferred Bateman over Zay Flowers, especially in this season, but he just continues to struggle to stay healthy. Like he was just recently able to participate in camp and then he like came back. He missed two more days, I think uh, this past week. So it's tough if you're not on the field. That's been his issue, right? He started to get going and then he'll go down with injury. And then you have Odell Beckham, who obviously in his prime was like a top tier NFL wide receiver. But I just kind of struggled to buy in on him here where he's turning 31 during the season, coming off his second ACL tear. Like with all that, you know, in play, I would rather just take a shot on the rookie wide receiver. So I think Flowers has the opportunity to step in, be the wide receiver one on a more pass heavy Ravens offense. And if you're picking him as like a mid to back end wide receiver four, I think that is a very, very fair price. And then the final rookie wide receiver is going to be Quinton Johnston being drafted after Zay Flowers as the wide receiver 45, also like a round nine, round 10 pick. And I feel like this QJ situation is pretty similar to JSN with the Seahawks, just with a much better landing spot. Like he has the competition with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And I do like both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams for fantasy, but I also, you know, have made sure to point out their red flags. Allen is 31 years old, coming off an injury-riddled season. And then Mike Williams, even though he logs a decent number of games every year, he is a guy who, you know, always seems like he's banged up, even if he isn't missing a ton of time. I think the Chargers are going to bounce back to being one of the best passing attacks in the NFL. If these wide receivers can stay healthy, Justin Herbert's not going to have the rib issue this season, you know, most likely. Um, And I feel like people are just forgetting. Justin Herbert is a guy who threw for 4,336 yards and 31 touchdowns in 15 games as a rookie, and then followed that up with 5,014 yards and 38 touchdowns in 17 games in year two. Just because he had a down year last year because of the ribs and the injuries does not mean he's going to flop here again in 2023. So at the wide receiver 45 price, I honestly feel like Johnston can pay off just by operating as the wide receiver three, like behind a healthy Keenan Allen and a healthy Mike Williams. But there are also more paths for him to see upside in this offense. An injury to Keenan Allen or Mike Williams bumps him up to the wide receiver two spot, which would be crazy valuable. And it's also possible that he's just too good to deny and earns like a role in two wide receiver sets, or at least filters in, or potentially forces the Chargers to pretty much go entirely with like three wide receivers. So I think he's definitely worth a nice like round nine, round 10 pick. I know there have been some training camp reports about him having problems with drops. And obviously it's not great to hear those reports. We do have to remember though, we were getting these same reports with Jamar Chase. People were, you know, pushing him away in drafts. They weren't willing to draft him because he couldn't catch the new NFL ball. You know, he was being lit up by all the uh, beat reporters. And then like we talked about early on, he went on to be the wide receiver five in points per game. So, you know, I'm not going to bury Quinton Johnston for those reports. Obviously, you don't want to hear them, but, you know, not overly concerned there. Um, and then we've got Zach Charbonnet being drafted as the running back 38, round nine, round 10 pick. And I'll say Charbonnet is like one of, if not my favorite running back pick in this range. I've talked about the Seahawks backfield a ton, but I just do not believe the Seahawks would go out, spend a second round pick on a running back, 
the year after spending a second round pick on Kenneth Walker, if they didn't want Charbonnet to be involved in a like legit capacity here, I think he can be like a weekly flex option with receiving and goal line work. And then I think at worst, he is one of the best handcuffs in the NFL. Staying at the running back position, we've got Devin A-Chain being drafted as the running back 41, around 10, round 11 pick. And pretty much this just comes down to the Dolphins running back room being wide open. This is going to be one of the better offenses in the NFL. I just have to take a swing on like the freak athlete with day two capital and receiving upside. There's no guarantee A-Chain comes in and takes over as like the clear cut running back one, but his competition is not overly stiff. You know, you've got a 31-year-old Raheem Mostert. And then you have Jeff Wilson, who's like never been a true lead back in his career. So with A-Chain's big playability and receiving upside, he's not a guy who's going to need a huge workload week to week to be fantasy relevant. So I definitely think he's worth kind of like a dart in the double digit rounds. And then the final must draft rookie, this has probably been a long one. We've got Tank Bigsby, the running back 50 in round 13. He's pretty much going to go in like one of the last rounds of your draft. And he may honestly go undrafted on certain platforms. Like I know uh, certain platforms, he's just like buried in the ADP where you would have to kind of go search for him to end up picking him. I do think there are some similarities between Bigsby and ETN um, compared to like uh, Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, their backfields. Like for whatever reason, the Jaguars were not willing to give ETN a ton of receiving work last year. He was also one of the worst running backs on the goal line. The Jaguars went out. They spent day two capital to bring in Tank Bigsby, who did catch passes in college. And um, you look at their weight, like from their pro day, the combine, and I think Bigsby's taller, but their weight is very similar, which makes you believe like the goal line work may be up for grabs. If you look at a picture of these two next to each other, there is no doubt that Tank Bigsby is the bigger option here. So I would not be surprised to see Bigsby involved week to week. Plus, I think probably worst case scenario, just like Zach Charbonnet, he carries really, really strong handcuff value. So that is going to wrap it up for my must-draft rookies. Like I said at the top, I think there's a lot of value to be had here, both at the running back position and the wide receivers. You know, honorable mention to guys like Bijan Robinson. I think he's a great pick. I think Anthony Richardson at the quarterback position is solid. I like Dalton Kincaid. I just didn't want this video to be like uh, an hour long, just talking about every single rookie that was drafted this season. So uh, if you guys enjoyed the video, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. Thank you all again for stopping by and I will see you in the next one.